Core of the Bible podcast number 38, Biblical Meekness That Inherits the Earth. Welcome to the Core of the Bible podcast. My name is Steve, and I'll be your host as we explore the message of the Bible reduced to its simplest form. As you may know, it's my belief the core of the Bible consists of the Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount. These central teachings incorporate seven main principles of conduct based on the topics of kingdom, integrity, vigilance, holiness, trust, forgiveness, and compassion. And today, we're going to be exploring the topic of integrity and how integrity is vividly illustrated in the concept of biblical meekness. Yeshua stated it this way. He said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And that's Matthew 5, verse 5. So what I'd like to do today is to look at the two main aspects of this principle of Yeshua. What the Bible says this meekness or gentleness is, and then to review what inheriting the earth is all about. So as we look at some modern definitions of the word meek, it presents us with ideas like easily imposed on or overly submissive. Words like weak, timid, soft, and yielding are also considered modern synonyms for the word meek. Yet if you were to look a little further into some of the archaic definitions, you'd find words like gentle and kind. So as is typically the case, In shifting between languages throughout time, certain meanings are lost and others are gained. Looking at definitions derived from the original Hebrew and Greek of the Bible, we come up with some definitions that provide a different emphasis. For example, the Easton Bible Dictionary says that meekness is a calm temper of mind, not easily provoked. The Freiburg lexicon says that meekness is as a mild and friendly disposition, gentle, kind and considerate. Bauer's lexicon says meekness is when a person is not being overly impressed by a state of one's self-importance. They're gentle, humble, and considerate. So what Yeshua is expressing here when he says the meek shall inherit the earth is certainly not timidity or weakness as we might think of it, but rather strength that is under complete control, having the ability to demonstrate great power without harshness. This is a vital ingredient in the makeup of the integrity of a believer. Now, this idea is a non-intuitive way of viewing power in general, as we typically associate power with directness and abruptness of absolute authority or influence. However, the quality spoken of here is one of constancy of purpose and direction, yet having the ability to convey that definitive purpose in a way that's steady and unyielding, but without being severe. I had recently come across an article from Llewellyn Martin writing over at Pilgrim Ministries, and it conveys a sense of this nature of Moses and how we should view his actions and behavior along with those of Yeshua, since they were both described as being very meek individuals. In Numbers 12, 3, it says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. And so Llewellyn writes this, Vines defines meekness like this. It's an inwrought grace of the soul and the exercises of it are first and chiefly towards God. It is the attitude of accepting God's work in our lives without disputing or resisting what he brings our way. It's the ability to see everything that comes along as something that God allows and wants to use to strengthen and purify our character. Whether it's circumstances that are contrary to our plan or people that insult or injure us, we realize that God has allowed it to purify us. 
It is complete reliance on God in what he asks of us or brings to us. Llewellyn continues, We tend to view meekness as weakness or mildness. However, in reality, meekness is strength. We know that Jesus was meek, but he was not weak. It took strength to meekly accept God's lot for his life without using all the resources at his disposal to avoid it. He instead laid all that aside to follow through with God's plan for him. Meekness is the ability to use God's power to fulfill his will when we have the power and ability to follow our own plan or defend ourselves. It's not being at the end of our rope and then needing to rely on God. It's having rope left, but choosing instead to accept God's plan. Therefore, meekness is the opposite of self-assertiveness or self-interest. It's the calmness of spirit that is neither self-exalting nor self-degrading. It's not preoccupied with self at all. Meekness can only be realized through the Holy Spirit empowering our lives. And that's from Llewellyn Martin over at Pilgrim Ministries. It's called Moses the Meekest Man. That biblically meek men can be influential leaders was also brought into focus by an article I found over at Perspective Digest. This excerpt highlights the driving force between biblical meekness, which is a patient yet firm conviction of God's will. It says this, Review of the biblical use of the term translated as meek pertaining to Moses, Numbers 12.3, provides good insight into Old Testament significance of this quality. Though at times synonymous and even confused with the related word that's translated poor or afflicted, the term's 18 most certain occurrences never represent high social standing or popular esteem. But for meekness as a leadership principle, it's neither dependent on popular permission nor on personal whim or preference. It's controlled neither by social status nor by personal will. It's the simple conviction that this is what God, unique and supreme authority, has required and would will. It is doing what God says to do, regardless. Patience with human perversity is part and parcel of such leadership, for the crowds do eventually follow, however reluctantly. But however unwilling the multitude may prove to be, God will still lead, and his meek human agent will lead by following him. Such single-minded, shame-despising commitment was and is the leadership of Jesus and of his servant Moses. And that's from Lael Caesar, called Moses' Meek Leadership. That's over at Perspective Digest. So believers are encouraged to have this quality of great strength and capability within humble and steady control coupled with respect and kindness for others. The Apostle Paul wrote to Titus in Titus 3, it says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Now some other words from other versions of verse 2 use language like, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone, or to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. So biblical meekness is powerful because it's also one of the visible fruits of God's Holy Spirit working within us. Galatians 5, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, that's that word for meekness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. This biblical meekness or strength that is under humble control can be likened to a forest stream as it winds its way down a mountain in the wilderness. The power of the water is steady and unyielding, 
Yet it doesn't flow in a straight line from the top of the mountain into the sea to which it empties itself. It flows over and around rocks and obstacles as it makes its journey, softening the edges of hard rock and scooping bits of soil and pebbles in its path and carrying them away. Over time, its effects can become more prominent as the channel for the stream becomes deeper and more defined. While, from one perspective, the water can be thought of as yielding to the hard rocks along the way, it's actually molding or shaping and moving the mountain as it flows over and around the rocks and pebbles in its path. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, Yeshua says this, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Yeshua encourages us to learn of this biblical meekness from him. When we take it to heart and actually practice this with those around us, our strength that is under control can positively influence the hardened and sharpened opinions of the world around us. Now that we have a broader understanding of biblical meekness and how we should exercise the same quality that Yeshua had, how is it that this quality allows believers to inherit the earth? Well, we can begin to understand this better when we recognize that when Yeshua was saying that the meek shall inherit the earth, he was actually referencing a quote from one of the Psalms. And it comes from Psalm 37, verse 11. It says, But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. However, in Psalm 37, the contextual reference is to the land as an eternal inheritance, not necessarily the earth as a whole. The Hebrew word for earth, Eretz, can be translated as either earth, meaning the whole globe, or land, as in the land of Israel. It's up to the translator to choose the usage. So we can see that the land is referenced throughout this psalm. Here are some examples. In verse 3 it says, Trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Verse 9 it says, For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Verse 11, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Verse 22, For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. Verse 29, The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. Verse 34, Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. So the reason that using the word land instead of earth in these passages is preferred is that this same type of language of inheriting the land is all through the Old Covenant. This was the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and his descendants. In Genesis 12, it says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Genesis 13, God says, Arise, walk through the land and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Well, clearly Abraham could only walk through the breadth of the land that was there, not necessarily through the whole earth. Genesis 15 says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. In this passage, the land is even physically described as being bordered by Egypt all the way to Euphrates. That's the physical land of Israel. Now to Isaac, God said, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. That's Genesis 26. To Jacob he said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. 
The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. That's Genesis 28. So to inherit the land was the result of faithfulness and obedience to God. Conversely, to not enter or to be cut off from the land was language that defined the consequences of unbelief. In Numbers 32, it says, Surely none of the men who came up out of Egypt from twenty years old and upward shall see the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. In Deuteronomy 28, Moses warns the Israelites of some of the curses that could come upon them. He says, If you are not careful to observe all the words of this law which are written in this book, to fear his honored and awesome name, the Lord your God, it shall come about that you will be torn from the land where you are entering to possess it. Moreover, the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth, and there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone, which your fathers have not known. Among those nations you shall find no rest, and there will be no resting place for the sole of your foot. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing of eyes, and despair of soul. So your life shall hang in doubt before you, and you will be in dread night and day, and shall have no assurance of your life. This representation is a vivid description of the state of the wicked and unrepentant, to be cut off from the land, and to not be able to find your way any longer. God also told Solomon, 1 Kings 9, he says, But if you or your sons indeed turn away from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes which I have set before you, you go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them, and the house which I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. So Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. So we see that the land was instrumental to the promises and purpose of God for national Israel. These promises then reached their fulfillment within the spiritual kingdom of God. When Yeshua said the meek shall inherit the earth, I believe he used this phrase of inheriting the land metaphorically, applying it directly to the kingdom that emanates from heaven. This can be demonstrated by looking at the immediate context of the teaching of meekness within the Sermon on the Mount. So in Matthew 5, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, or the land. And then verse 10, he says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we can see how he relates the kingdom of heaven and this land reference. Therefore, if Yeshua used references to the land inheritance to metaphorically stand for the kingdom, I believe we can also. God gave national Israel, that is the physical descendants of Abraham, the land. But he gives believers, the spiritual descendants of Abraham, the kingdom. In Luke 12, Yeshua said, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. So therefore, we now come to the final aspect of this land question. If the land was to be given to Israel forever, then why did this not come to pass as they were removed through several different scatterings through the ancient empires of Assyria, Babylon, and Rome? Well, I believe this has to do with the nature of the eternal promise and its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. We know that nothing on this earth is eternal. The Apostle Paul even taught that everything that can be seen is temporary. Second Corinthians chapter 4, he said, 
For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. By that logic, the land is certainly something that can be seen, and is therefore not an eternal possession in and of itself. Well, I believe these references to an eternal land are foreshadowing the everlasting kingdom, the new Jerusalem, the kingdom of heaven. The prophetic Zion is mentioned as having everlasting qualities. Psalm 125.1, it says, Those who trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. Psalm 146, verse 10 says, The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. In Micah 4, verse 7, he says, I will make the lame a remnant and the outcasts a strong nation, and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now and forever. This is also as the writer to the Hebrews relates when he ties all of this imagery together. In Hebrews 12, 22, he says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. He even carries forward the promise of the land that was made to Abraham as a promise that even Abraham knew was something larger and more permanent and a future possession. In Hebrews 11, it says, By faith, Abraham lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own, but as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Back to Psalm 125.1, it reads, Those who trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. And in an allusion back to this passage, the writer of Hebrews also mentions how the kingdom of God cannot be shaken. In Hebrews 12, it says, This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. This kingdom which cannot be shaken is the new Jerusalem, Mount Zion, representative of the kingdom of heaven. Just as the physically faithful inherited the physical land, then the spiritually faithful inherit the spiritual kingdom. This is the kingdom that was prophesied to spread to all kingdoms and last forever. In Daniel 2, it says, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all those kingdoms, but it itself will endure forever. Daniel 7 says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So as this kingdom is to be spread over the entire earth, then in a very real way, the meek shall indeed inherit the earth 
with the caveat that it will be so when the realization of the heavenly kingdom is over all the earth. So to summarize a lot of broad-ranging information today, we can see that Yeshua is saying that the meek shall inherit the earth is indeed a reality that is underway and growing to fulfillment with each passing day. The concept of biblical meekness or gentleness is strength under control, flexible but unyielding, and having a powerful purpose but adapting to its environment while accomplishing its ends. This is the force that overcomes the mighty and powerful, beating swords into plowshares, replacing the kingdoms of men with the kingdom of God, as believers remain firm on the principles of God's kingdom. We, as the biblical meek, are the stream cascading down the mountain of God, smoothing the rough stones and scooping up the willing along its way into the vast ocean of eternity. As believers are diligent in bringing about this integrity of gentleness in expressing God's powerful purpose around them, anything is possible. The world of rebellious men becomes the possession of God as willing hearts turn to Him. To Him every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. This is the type of power that truly inherits the earth. Well, once again, I hope I've been able to provide you some ideas and concepts to meditate on further. If you enjoyed this week's podcast, be sure to visit corethebible.org to join the conversation through comments or reading daily blog posts on these topics. The Core of the Bible is all about the message of the Bible reduced to its simplest form, and that is the principles of the Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount. Do you have questions about today's topic or comments or insights you'd like to share? Perhaps you found this podcast helpful or encouraging. If so, I would love to hear from you and to include listener comments in future episodes, so feel free to email me at coreofthebible at gmail.com. Thanks for your interest in listening today, and as always, I hope to be invited back into your headphones in another episode to come. Take care.